this morning, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And a good Bible teacher, a good pastor, is not going to focus on themselves when they're teaching a portion of Scripture. They're going to emphasize what the Holy Spirit is teaching from the text. The emphasis is always going to be on the text. And, and all of us know about uh, pastors occasionally, sometimes a little too much, throwing in their own fishing stories and, and throwing in their own accolades. Usually it's because they didn't study enough and they ran out of stuff to talk about. But what happens when the text is specifically speaking to you, or in this case to me, about a situation that we're going through right now? And so we want to make sure that we're faithful to the scripture. And I want to let you know straight up, I am preaching to myself. I always do that, not holding anything back, but specifically today. And so you're going to walk with me through some discussions that we're having internally and some discussions we have in the church and discussions I have in my own mind. The way that we get to that, going back to the text, is Paul, here in chapter 9, is going to begin to defend himself. And it seems in chapter 9 that it doesn't belong with chapters 8 and 10 because chapter 8, last week, we talked about meat offered unto idols. We talked about grace. We talked about liberty. And we talked about making decisions and using that liberty to build up, not puff up. Remember that if you are puffed up with knowledge, you're pushing out people, but love edifies, it builds up. And he's going to use that to continue in chapter 9, and we'll see that these three chapters work together seamlessly, even though it kind of seems like we change subjects, and go back to meet offered under idols in chapter 10. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up. Chapter 9, I can't go through all of it, too, so it's going to be in two parts. We're going to have the first portion of this chapter this morning. So what is Paul dealing with? It amazes me that Paul is dealing with critics and accusations and gossip, and ridicule. I mean, he is Paul the Apostle. He is the Paul the Apostle. And yet, these churches that he planted, there are people that are criticizing him and going after him. And he's going to defend himself this morning. If you really want to see him defend himself uh, on your own time, read 2 Corinthians. He really defends himself strongly there because they even came back with more criticism after they received this letter. But let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to start in verses 1 and 2 and see what we're talking about this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that it applies to all of us. But specifically this morning, I pray that you would be speaking to me and to this fellowship on, on decisions that are going to be made or need to be made, how to utilize grace and to grow in grace together. I pray that you would continue to glorify yourself through your word. And we praise you for the work you're doing this morning in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump into verses 1 and 2. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I mean, how is this even a question when he says, am I not an apostle? Yes, he is an apostle with a capital A. And to be an apostle, you had to see the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected. And he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 8, also in two other portions in the book of Acts. He he shares this story about how Jesus revealed himself to him. 
But he says that's not really even the evidence. The evidence that he's an apostle is his fruit. How shall you know them? By their fruit. You know, what is a real pastor? What is a real apostle? What is a real leader? What is a real teacher? You know, I constantly am, am asking myself that. Like, when did I become a real pastor? Well, who's this, who makes that decision? Who leads there? There's some people I don't think I'm a real pastor today. They're mostly right. I mean, I'm not that great about anything, really. But we see here that in this cultural context, Greeks at that time thought that manual labor was beneath them. Slaves do manual labor. They need to go and enjoy leisure and philosophy and sports, education. Now, the Jews, however, magnified honest, hard labor. In fact, to be a Bible scholar in Israel, you had to have your own practical trade. And that's how they taught people. We know that Paul, we're going to talk about this ad nauseum today, that means a lot, about him being a leather maker, a tent maker, a worker with tallow and hides. But he's dealing with this issue the same way that he did with the eating meat unto idols. Who's right? Which way do we go? What do you do? And, and that's the defense. My question to myself then is like, well, what does your pastor do? You know, there are some pastors out there. I don't know what they do. I mean, they just teach one Sunday morning, and then what are they doing with the rest of their time? You and I were out there laboring, working, except for you retired Sun City people. I guess you earned it. I guess. The rest of us are slaving away early in the morning, late in the afternoon, just trying to put food on the table. And what are those guys doing? Like, are they out on the golf course? But then there's others, same, same vein, that maybe the church is like the size of a middle school. Maybe they have 2,000 people. I don't understand how they have any time to do anything. You're administrating, you're overseeing people, you're counseling, you're talking. I don't, how do they have lives? And so those are full-time pastors. What about those that are bivocational? That's a fancy way of saying they work full-time and then they serve full-time. And they, they work all day long. How do they even get anything done? And we have this judgment. Well, who's right and who's wrong? And I told you I was preaching to myself. There are many times in my walk I felt maybe I was a little bit better because I work harder. And that's not always the Who judges what a real pastor is? what a real leader is. And Paul's making this, this, this defense. Am I not an apostle? But the proof of that apostleship, you shall know them by their fruit. He's speaking to the Corinthians. The, what is he defending himself about? We're going to see now in verses 3 through 7. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Well, first thing, I want to put a little pin in it. We're going to change subjects for a minute, and then we're going to come back. That's just a fancy way of me telling you we're going to go down a rabbit hole on purpose, and then we're going to come back. Because if you came from a Catholic or maybe a religious background like I did, you were taught that you know, 
fathers and leaders and pastors, they shouldn't get married, um, that Peter wasn't married, and that Jesus was never married, that part is true, and that um, you're more holy, more righteous if you are not. Well, Paul just previously spoke on that, but here he is saying that Peter had a wife and has a wife. I used to think the Catholic Church taught that Peter never had a wife, and now I started doing some research, and I found out they don't know what they believe. They're all over the place. All of them teach different things. Many say that Peter was a widow and that his wife must have died. We know he was married. 100% fact, Mark chapter 1, verse 30, Jesus goes and heals his wife, or his uh, mother-in-law, excuse me. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, but they told him about her at once, and Jesus comes and heals his mother-in-law. But here, Paul in the present tense says, hey, can't Barnabas and I take a wife like Peter and the other apostles? Like the, our brothers of the Lord and Cephas, specifically in verse 5, and that is in the present tense. And so he's married, comes along, doesn't matter. You see, that's how we're going to connect chapters 8, 9, and 10. That's how we're going to defend this defense. He is talking and defending about why some are working full-time in ministry and why some are receiving money from the ministry to be full-time in the Word of God. And the question for us today is, well, which one's right? And he's using marriage as an example. He just spoke about it in chapter 8, about how you're not more or less holy based on your marital status any more than what you eat. Our righteousness comes from grace alone, through Jesus Christ, by faith alone. Now, coming back from our, our rabbit hole there, we're coming back. Paul chose not to marry. He chose to work. He used his liberty, his grace. And that is the key. The key is just like meat offered unto idols, we use our liberty to bless others, not build ourselves up. You can do those things, but should you? Remember, we want to build up, not puff up from last week's sermon. Now, Paul, let's talk about him. What does he do? When he was in Corinth, he worked full time in manual labor. In Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, it's described how he comes into Corinth. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Now historically, this is kind of interesting that Paul is a tent maker because you're working with leather and tanning and that is not a kosher trade to work with dead animals. That's not something young Jewish boys want to do, but that is his trade. So tent making, leather maker, you'll hear those different things. They all are synonymous. They work together. They're the same thing because the tents were made out of, you guessed it, leather. That is not an easy job. You can go and study that on your own. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole again, but on accident, about how they make that leather from these animal hides. I imagine Paul's hands were knotty and calloused and bruised and just strong. You ever 
shooken hands with someone who's like a carpenter, and you're like, oh my gosh, ease off a little bit. That's how I envision Paul's hands. He said, and he's going to say later, with these hands I labored. But he didn't have to. He chose to. In fact, Acts chapter 20, Luke records Paul's defense, and he says that very same thing in Acts 20, verses 33 through 35. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities, and I, ma- I imagine them, these hands. And for those who are with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And for you Bible students, this is a little nugget that they throw in there because this verse from Jesus, this quote, is recorded nowhere else in the Gospels, only here in the book of Acts. So you get a little little gem there. Now, why am I bringing this up? How Paul was serving, how he was working? Because here in chapter 9, he's going to defend not working in the ministry. A guy who was many times working. And so I said earlier, when I'm thinking about myself, it's like, well, which one is right? In my, in my pride, in my flesh, I like to think, incorrectly so, that I'm better than others because I work hard. That's not true. You know, we're to do whatever God has called us to do at that time. But the criticism that I will receive is, well, you, you know, maybe he's not, he's not a real pastor. You know, what, what school did you go to? How long have you been in ministry? You know, does the church support you? And then when I get a little bit of my flesh and I kick back, it's like, well, I'm a real servant like Paul. No. No, and, and neither one is better than the other. But what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says it is far better for teachers and leaders to be dedicated to the Word of God as much as possible. In Galatians 6, the Holy Spirit leading Paul tells him, let him who has taught the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. So he's supposed to be provided from the laborer. And that is the practical defense that Paul is making here. What does he say in the text? He says, Whoever goes to war at his own expense is verse 7. We're going to go through his defenses. So a soldier, or for the Marines here, because I hate any time you even mention the word soldier and a Marine in the same sentence. They go to war, they're given wages and provisions and training, and they're prepared, and then they go into tough places. What else? He who plants a vineyard does not eat of the fruit. So we know from our studies on Wednesday nights, if you have a field, You can eat as much as you want. You just can't take it home with you. You're provided for from your labor. What's another one? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? So if you're a shepherd and you're out there in the hot and the cold and you're defending from wild animals and you're preparing and you're taking care of these animals, those animals are going to provide for your needs. Now, right now, I happen to be in mechanical trades, plumbing, electrical, and HVAC. So I'll, I'll fix somebody's AC unit. And it's amazing to me how many times they think I should do that for free. But it's like, no, I make a living from this. You need to pay me money. That's how I feed my kids. Well, we, we all need air conditioning, and I need money. <laughs> it's how it works. Then, uh, anyway, I, I almost did it. See, I almost got down the rabbit hole. But I'm supporting my family through my work. And 
Paul's making a defense. If someone is dedicated to the word of God, they should be provided for. He's going to give a scriptural defense in a minute. But right now he's using a practical defense, which is interesting because we just shared these verses about how Paul many times did not do that. So again, I have to ask myself, instead of preaching to myself, well, which one is right? Which one should you do? Which one is better? Well, let's read verses 8 through 11 together. Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God are concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partakers of, this, of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So now he's going to use another defense. He used a practical defense. Now it's an Old Testament, a scriptural defense. And it's interesting that he's using Deuteronomy, which we just taught last Wednesday, because I am that amazing of a planner. <laughs> A.K.A. the Holy Spirit just leads us there, and just that's how we get there. And we talked about how Paul uses it here in this chapter. He also uses this same verse in 1 Timothy. I love what he adds here, though. He says, was this verse written for the oxen? Was it written for the cattle? What, it, what he's insinuating here is, can cattle read? No, cattle cannot read. So whose benefit is that written for? You shall not muzzle the ox that treads the grain. What is he even talking about? Well, he's talking about how at that time, you couldn't just go down to the store and buy bread. You had to go get wheat or flour. And the way you got that flour is after harvest time, they'd get all that wheat, and they'd have the corn, the heads of it, and the chaff, the stick of it, and they had to separate it. If you were rich, they would have a millstone in the middle, and they'd put a wooden arm out with an animal that would drag that millstone around. If you weren't, you didn't have a millstone, you would just get that animal to go in a circle and lay all the grain on the ground, and its hooves would separate it by mashing it up. Either way, if you were super stingy, you wanted to keep as much of that grain as possible, so you put a muzzle on the oxen, on the cattle, so that he couldn't go down there and eat as he's going. But how is he supposed to keep his energy to keep up the labor, to keep up the work? And so the scripture wants to take care of the cattle. And more importantly, Paul's emphasizing through the Holy Spirit that it's about man. Hey, take care of animals. Take care of people. There's a spiritual principle here. You shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. The spiritual application is this, that if a pastor is in the word of God, he's ministering and he's serving, he should be able to be provided from that. Even more uh, black and white, Paul says at the end of verse 11, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? He's saying, if we have sown spiritual things in you, how, how little is it of, to get some material things out of it? You know, for me personally, it's a little humbling, but you know, when I, when I fix an air conditioner, what do I do? You know, I get somebody some cold air for a little while, right up until it breaks again, and it will break again. Everything breaks. And I get a little bit of money for it, and I go home, and I feel like I, did, I really accomplished something. I fixed things. You know, these mystery boxes that nobody knows how to fix, I got it. 
But when I share the gospel with someone, when I minister to someone, when the word of God is being taught, if the Lord allows me to be involved with someone being saved, what do I do there? If someone is saved, that is for eternity. That is for forever. What is the greater? You know, it's sad that sometimes I get more benefit mentally from fixing a mechanical, physical thing than from serving in a spiritual thing. And that's what Paul's saying. If, if you're being fed, if you're receiving the word of God and you're getting these deep, eternal, spiritual things and closer to God, I mean, what is it if, you just get, if he gets a little bit of provision for that? But again, the same question rolls around in my mind. Well, what is better? See, when Paul went to Corinth, there was no church to provide for his needs. So you have to work. But then if the church got a little bit bigger, there becomes some tension. And there's tension now in the fellowship. You see, I cannot dedicate enough time to either work or my family or the church. And so there's always want. None of them is getting full attention. And the tension increases. So what should I do about it? What should Paul do about it? And that was the issue. There was criticism and attacks and gossip that he was dealing with. And if Paul the apostle is going to get those things, I'm, I feel like, oh, well, maybe this is a normal thing. See, what about your life? What about decisions that you have, that you have to make? You see, we believe in our religious tradition that God opens a door and he closes another. I'm going to tell you something. It never works that way. It's not scriptural. Many times the Lord will open five doors and close two and then say, which one do you want to take? It's like, no, 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 Lord, I don't want to make a decision. I want you to choose for me. But then you have this thing that Paul's been talking about called grace, the unmerited, unearned favor of God that he gives you choices. If you moved here from somewhere, 99.9% .9 of you immigrated here like me, you had a choice. Where do you want to move to? You're like, Lord, just lead me to the place you want to be. But it's amazing that all of us had opportunities to go to all these different places. And then maybe you felt a strong calling from the Lord to come here. But for many of us, it was like, well, I guess we'll see what happens. You see, that's, that's the key about our walk. Many times, God will bless us with many different decisions. For example, a friend of mine had to make a decision on which Bible college he was going to go to. Germany or Israel or another one. And he was haunted by making the right choice until he realized the Lord was going to bless him at any one of those. It didn't really matter. Which one do you want to go to? You see, there is no black and white answer for me. Some of you in your minds may be voting one way or another, and no matter what decision I make, you're going to be mad. I don't care <laughs> because I have to make decisions for my own household. We're going to receive criticism no matter what. There's going to be opposition no matter what. That's normal. Paul is defending from the Old Testament that a pastor should be dedicated to the word of God. He should be provided for. And then he chose not to do it. He chose to work with his hands and leatherworking. And he has a little bit of angst about it. What does the Bible say? There's a principle for us in Acts chapter 6, verse 2 when they were building the church and figuring out how to do the church together. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God 
and serve tables. But it's not an order. It's inferred. It is better for us not to serve. It's better for us to be dedicated to the Word of God. It's better for us to spend the time growing in the Word of God together. Now, we know that we're applying this to me personally, but I'm not going to take all this heat. What about you? What's keeping you from being dedicated to the Word of God? Oh, but I have a career, and I have children, and I have things are so busy. That's Oh, so the TV is like beating you up and forcing you not to be on your Bible? You, the, the YouTube time, the phone time, the golf time, all that other time that's getting in the way of you being dedicated to the Word of God? If you think I should quit my job and be full-time dedicated to the Word of God, which I want to do that, but I got this crazy thing called bills. But then you yourself won't do it with the time that God has given you. We see that all of us are a little convicted. You see, it's just not that easy. And that's how we tie these chapters together. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, that we do what we can. You see, Paul didn't always work with his hands. Sometimes the ministry supported him. In fact, when he was writing the Philippians about his time with Thessalonica, he said this in Philippians 4. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, <coughs> excuse me, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so there was times that he received from the ministry and he was blessed by it. There's other times when he chose to work, and that's what he's been telling us. You can choose to eat meat unto idols, but does it bless others or does it bless yourself? You can choose to be married or not. Is that what God's called you to do? Are you blessed one way or the other? And pastors, you can choose to work or you can choose not to. None of those things will make you more or less spiritual. There is a principle. We should be dedicated to the Word of God. We should be full-time spending time with the Lord, and then the Lord will provide through the people. And he uses the Old Testament and says, you know, didn't the priest partake of the offerings given to God? And he makes those assumptions. And I find it odd because many times, the majority of the time even, Paul decided not to follow that. Now, that being said, he is fully dedicated to the word of God. I'm not saying he wasn't. When you're a tent maker in Corinth, I know this is hard to believe, but in the first century, they did not have air conditioning. So what happened, they would work all morning into the afternoon with their hands, but then they'd take a long three-hour two-hour break in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day. And he would go and he would teach the Bible every single day in that gap. And then he would go back to work right afterwards, finish out the rest of the day. And he did that day in and day out, continuing to minister. Sounds awesome to me. I'd like to take three hours in the middle of the day and just teach. But that, that is the key. Now, the Corinthians are criticizing Paul for his decision. And I get reminded, like, well, you're, you're always going to be judged. So who is a real pastor, and, and what does a pastor do? 
the answer is, who cares what you think? What was Paul's defense of being an apostle? First, that he had seen the Lord. But second, that he had ministered to the people. He said, you are my seal of apostleship, the fruit of the Spirit. See, not all criticism is right. When Paul starts to defend himself to the Corinthians again in 2 Corinthians, he gets a little bit more strong. In fact, he will tell them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. He's, he's getting very assertive here. He's, he didn't say that he's literally holding up churches, you know, like the old Western desperado with the six-shooter, give me your money. No, he's saying, I received spiritual blessings from other churches to minister to you, and this is what you're going to do with it? You know, not all accusations and criticisms and gossip are true. Now, I will say the majority of criticisms and accusations against me are 100% true and correct. <laughs> no need to go through the list. <laughs> we know what they all are, but I'm a man of like passions like anyone else. What is the point that Paul is trying to make? And what is the, po the point that I'm trying to make? It's found here in these verses 12 through 14. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And that is the key. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. He chooses not to do it. Because why? Lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. That is the point. This is not about making people happy. This isn't about being not criticized. This isn't about a popularity contest. This is 100% on furthering the gospel of Christ, on teaching the word of God. And that's how we tie it to the previous chapter. All things are lawful for me, but I will not come under the power of any. I can eat of the meat dedicated to idols. There's no power in those idols, but I'm not going to stumble anyone. I want to lay down my rights for others. Is it difficult to be bivocational? Of course it is. But if that is what God is calling me to do for this season, then awesome. But I shouldn't in my flesh say, well, that's what we all should do, and you're not a real pastor if you don't, because that's not what the Scripture says. See, we need to make our own decisions, whatever criticism you're against, whatever decisions you need to deal with, and ask yourself, does this further the gospel? What is this for? Because what does it matter if I fix another machine? If someone's not receiving the word of God because of it, then I need to check myself and say, well, maybe there are some tough choices to be made. Maybe there are some tough decisions. Is this furthering the gospel or is this about ourselves, about building ourselves up? And that ties to the last chapter. Are we edifying, building each other up or puffing up and pushing away? No, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20, this is a memory verse for all Christians. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does your pastor do? Whatever God calls him to do. Whenever he calls him to do it. I'm no different now than when I came off the bus into South Carolina for the first time and said, I'm going to start a church. It was just a working of God, and God had called people together, and we just stayed faithful to it. I'm no different now than I was then. I'm just a guy who's following after Christ, realizing it's not I who live. It's not me that gets the glory. It's not that I do anything. I hinder God's work. I get in the way in my flesh. People ask me what my plan is for the future of this church. My plan is this. I'm going to follow Christ and try not to mess it up. That's the plan. Congratulations. You know the five-year plan now. Whatever your pastor does, we pray it is for the glory of God and his kingdom. We need to be building up the kingdom of God by his leading and not tearing it apart for our own fleshly desires, for our own selves. We use the grace of God to build up and to bless others for his glory not our own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing and continuing to do. We thank you for your word, which never returns void. We pray that we would all be dedicated to it, that we would all sacrifice for it. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us, to lift us up, to strengthen us, to continue to walk this walk with you, Lord, and that we would go into the world and we would preach the gospel would be used by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, swap stories with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, this Wednesday, my pastor, Pastor Mark Gellman, will be here. Look forward to seeing you there. God bless.